Hello. Hello! It's Kiki here. And Alex. On this episode, we hear about the original and untold backstory of Lady Macbeth's villainy and downfall, based on Shakespeare's famous work. Writers and real-life partners James Beanie and Gina Giorgio talk to us about Lady M, which was born out of lockdown. How working with Coldplay's record producer and recording at Abbey Road Studios have shaped the sound of the piece. And what it was like having some of musical theatre's most exciting voices sing their demos. Welcome to Making, Making a, a Musical, the, the Future of, of British, British Musical, musical Theatre. So this episode, we have a really interesting musical that we're going to have a conversation with that I came across in quite a unique way. So we obviously opened uh, submissions for the podcast and we got a lot. Uh, Some we knew, some were brand new to us. And this show was completely brand new to me. And I actually stumbled across it on Instagram. And I think I reached out to you both on Instagram, inviting you to submit to the podcast. Uh, And it was just a a really exciting um, new way for me to be introduced to a musical. I get a lot across my desk here at the other palace. Um, But I think it's a real testament to this show's social media presence, which we'll get onto later. Um, But this episode, we have a new musical called Lady M. And we've got James and Gina with us today. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, pleasure. Um, Well, maybe people know from the title alone, Lady M, but it would be great to get a little bit more information from you about what this show is. Sure. So it is what it says on the tin. It's about Lady M, Lady Macbeth. And we tell the full story of Macbeth, the play, but with these kind of flashbacks of Lady Macbeth's past um, kind of interweaving all the time throughout the musical. So it's like the origin story of Lady M, but also the actual story. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like a backstory slash origin story of why she becomes who she does. And how true to it is it to the original Shakespeare text? Are you actually using Shakespearean language or how have you guys, um, I guess, adapted it? So, yeah, we, we made the decision quite early to not abandon the, the, the main text itself, but it, it's all in modern English. So I suppose the way we see it is it's, a, it's an adaptation, but almost like a reinvention, I, I guess, in a way as well. So... The, as, as Gina mentioned, we do tell the main story and we, we use references from the, the original language, but we almost found it easier, I think, to start off with the play, kind of create a skeleton of what we thought it would be, then leave the, you know, put the play to one side, start writing. We did it all chronologically and then we kind of worked our way backwards again after that and sort of went back to the beginning and started changing things. And then also after putting it on, on its feet and doing a little bit of workshopping, it enabled us to then kind of reinvent scenes again so it's uh, at times we we joke about it because we forget what was in the original play and and what what has become i guess our our story but yeah it's a bit a bit of both so how did you how did you choose macbeth as the inspiration because that's i mean shakespeare's uh plays have proved very fruitful ground for uh, adapting not least for musicals with shows like west side story so how was it that you decided that that was the story that you wanted to roll with i think we were in the garden eating a fajita <laughs> and we very specific I memory <laughs> i remember the fajita because it was easter and james had put something on social media rhyming easter with fajita something like that indeed <laughs> that, that rhyme hasn't made it into lady m that's the next yeah. draft yeah. isn't it <laughs> there goes the olivier yeah. <laughs> it's back in <laughs> Um, we 
had made the decision to write our second show because we'd written a show before. So we're going through lots of stories and, and famous stories. You know, we we decided that we wanted it to be something that was well known. So we were going through lots of old novels and myths. And we just kept coming back to the story of Macbeth and particularly the thread of Lady Macbeth. And correct me if I'm wrong, this all started in lockdown. Am I right? Yeah, that's that is right. So that's when the the fajita at Easter took place. It was the uh, in the garden in the garden when the, the, I don't know if you remember the weather was unbelievable in that first sort of part of the lockdown. And we, as Gina mentioned, we chatted it over and over. What what are we going to write about? Macbeth was the story we just kept coming back to. We felt we could sort of put our own stamp on it and and yeah, I guess modernize it as well in, in, in a way and try try to make it as accessible as possible to. A different audience uh, to those who know the play and uh yeah it, it was having the time during the lockdown was hugely beneficial for us because we i guess in normal times we, we work as producers as well and we, you know we're very busy with lots of different areas of, of our theater work and and we also do a lot of the recording ourselves as well because being musicians so it's very time consuming and i'm not sure we would have had quite that same chunk of time to mm. be able to completely dedicate ourselves to to something like this so it was it was really beneficial for us to have yeah the space to 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 write it yeah so you you guys you you come from a very music orientated background so tell us a bit more about that because I think it's actually relatively unusual in terms of um musical theatre to have that kind of music industry background Sure. We used to be in a band together and we still work with our bandmates. They um, play the music on a lot of the tracks that we release for the shows. Um, and yeah, we had some amazing experiences. We supported McFly and Keen, Joan Armour Trading, played lots of festivals. And we kind of built our musical relationship through that. And it just seemed like a, a natural transition for us to move into musical theatre because people used to say that our band was very theatrical and when we performed that there was a kind of narrative mm. to the set so yeah I think it was a, a good fit for us. Yeah and it was when we initially wrote one song about a, a war hero and we for some reason the story really just resonated with us and we decided this is something we want to sort of elaborate upon so we then found ourselves writing 10 songs and 12 songs and we were thinking what what exactly is going on here <laughs> we're, we're sort of building this strange album of uh, a concept album essentially and at the time though we weren't really ready to to perform it in that way so that was why we started developing things and the first show was the dreamers it was a, a world war one show and we yeah turned that gradually into something that was sort of a vehicle for the band initially but then we realised that it had a different sort of potential in the sense that we wanted to be able to one day be on in lots of different theatres as opposed to us having to be there performing it ourselves. And it's, uh, I guess it was more of a concert, you would call it in a way, when we first started that. And then we transformed it into a musical and started meeting lots of theatre people and I guess bringing a slightly different side to it. And, and what do you find that's different about writing for a musical uh, rather than kind of writing for, I suppose, a, a pop band? I think there are quite a lot of differences and I think one of the, the main ones that kind of struck us at first was that you have to have a really strong relationship between the songs and obviously when you have a set as a band you don't need necessarily there to be this connection between between different tracks or different mm. songs um stylistically or um or in the you know in terms of the kind of narrative meaning as well and when we started writing a musical it was quite interesting because 
we suddenly, you know, very obviously became aware that those songs had to be connected. And with our first show, we didn't actually write it chronologically either. So that was quite difficult because when we got to the end of the show, we suddenly realised that we had themes that we wanted to use earlier in the show and ended up having to revisit Act One a lot and change that. So, yeah, it's a completely different process. And we also had to, I think with The Dreamers, we wrote the songs sort of individually first and then found ourselves having to go back and fill in the gaps because we, we used to joke that we, we couldn't imagine characters sort of singing to one another in the conversational parts of the show, sort of a la, you know, Les Mis, that kind of thing. Though, interestingly, then when, when we had written the songs, we just couldn't see it being a book musical at all. It just didn't sort of work f- for our style. So after saying for years that we'd never write that sort of thing, we were like, we definitely have to, <laughs> we have to now. <laughs> That's it. That's where this is, is going. And oddly enough, those are the bits I now enjoy the most, far more than the individual songs, because I think songs are a great way for a character to express their, their mood and their emotion. But I really personally love... It, when we write the the sort of narrative driven parts of the show the bits where the you know characters have arguments or you know when they when people are falling in love or whatever it is you, they're the sort of things you, you could just never write in a in a pop band as, yeah you know. i agree for me that's also one of the most fun parts as well and it's so exciting when there's the opportunity to bring a theme back so a, a character can interject something else another character saying with a theme that might not happen until the second act but it kind of um foreshadows if you like what happens later in the story um, and we have a song for you uh, to play. It is called What Must Be Done. Do you want to give us a little bit of a context as to where this sits in the show? Sure. So this is Lady Macbeth's first song. It's sort of the first time that you see her properly as well, because the show opens with a kind of mysterious reference to her. We're not sure exactly how we're going to present that yet. We we think we might do it quite metaphorically. So this is probably the first time that she'll appear sort of fully and it's the famous letter scene where she gets the letter from Macbeth where he tells her that he is going to be king one day and she decides that she's going to take matters into her own hands and do what must be done strange angels came to you tonight with truth on their tongues and smoke in their lungs to breathe the future in your ears the years ahead can't be undone fate is knocking at our door she's starting a fire she's waging a war she's placed a Sure you do what must be done to raise 
For the eagle-eared amongst you, that was the legendary Carrie Ellis on that track. I mean, what's it like writing a song and then having it sung by somebody with a voice like Carrie's? Oh, it's a dream come true. It's a cliche to say it, but it really is because we like to visualise people while we're writing songs. And she was someone that we visualised when we were writing it. So, yeah, to have her in the studio singing it was just unbelievable. And every take was incredible. We had shivers down our spines and it was really, really difficult choosing which takes we were (laughs) going to put together because they were all so amazing. Oh, no, I just have to listen to that take again. (laughs) (laughs) Just one more, one more. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's actually really important to have a conversation on the importance of demos as part of the musical process. Mm. Um, Sitting on on the other side of things as as someone who programs a venue making sure you're receiving demos you know we're not asking for everything to be of a professional level quality but as something that you can really um to really allows you to listen to the music and the themes and the lyrics um is really important and i know again we've touched on your music background it'd be good to hear from you kind of your process of creating demos making music in that way yeah it's been really really helpful actually i think the music music background in that in that sense because we create a combination i suppose of very rough demos recorded at home with a you know very basic setup a microphone and a, and a keyboard and then obviously when it comes to proper recordings that that was recorded at abbey road and we've you know we've worked there quite a lot over the years and it's it's some you know we, it's an environment i guess we feel comfortable in which is also helpful so i think uh the main thing we did very early in the process when we were writing this at home during the pandemic was that we just recorded everything as we went so we sort of put together these these crazy uh sort of 45 minute sections of the show and and then the two of us sung every part which is horrific i mean something that not many people will ever hear and it's (laughs) probably not 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 that anyone really would want to hear it but uh there were parts where we'd sort of layer up 12 different vocals with all the harmonies and all the witches it was completely crazy but uh, it was very useful though to have it because then when we started doing a, a workshop the cast were able to learn the parts we do a lot of stuff by ear because you know so obviously actors many of them can read music but it's you know most of us absorb music orally and that's the best way to to learn so 
it was yeah great having those those demos to play and 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 i guess over time it's just evolved some of those demos have actually been very useful in creating the actual tracks as well because we've used them to sort of set tempos and to create click tracks out of them and yeah it's it's quite a quite a fun process yeah it just really helps to paint a picture i think because Sometimes people say to us, they tell us about Lady M, and it's so difficult sometimes to kind of get across the music. I think you can explain the story and, and so many aspects of it, but the music is something that's it's difficult to kind of describe, I think. So having those demos just enables us to convey the work so much more kind of um, easily. And the other thing that we recorded after the initial workshop that unfortunately was cancelled due to to an Omicron outbreak and uh, as we joked earlier it might have been because we said the the dreaded Macbeth word about 500 times in the theatre <laughs> <laughs> maybe we were cursed but uh, yeah after that because we only got through four or five days we managed to put quite a bit of the, the show on its feet but we felt that we needed something to be able to show people because initially we planned to do a, a sort of mini presentation and we weren't able to do that so we then hired uh Cadogan Hall for a day and we've been releasing little bits of footage from that to the public because you know nice little teasers but we have an 18 minute sort of full section which you know it's not fully orchestrated it's just guitar bass and piano the actors are not wearing costume it's very gently choreographed it's uh, you know basic basic formations really but it's, it's just something to show people and it's been immensely helpful in terms of theatres that we're speaking to and uh, investors and co-producers and that sort of thing and it wasn't just the demos that you created for the show either was it and i don't know maybe this is a um because of because it was sort of developed in lockdown partly but i think i'm right in saying you also have some sample artwork you know how else is it that you can kind of make that build that world for people that are listening to the show for the first time yeah that's right we we made the decision very early in the process that we wanted to be able to sort of dedicate uh, sort of financial backing, but also our, you know, to invest our time in the right areas, places that we felt would, like you say, kind of create the world for, for you know, potential investors or producers and theatres, but also for the public. Because the first thing we ever shared was the logo. It was the first thing we put online and we wanted people to look at that and go, oh, okay, this seems intriguing. It's quite exciting. And because uh, of our music background, again, we decided to involve a slightly different sort of, creative on on that front and the, the creative designer or the graphic designer is a guy called gary kelly who works with a lot of bands that's his his background and he's he's on a, done a few films as well and so we wanted to have quite a a filmic look to it and yeah i think the the shape that we've got now hopefully feels like it's something that in the future people will be able to look at and immediately think of lady m yeah and i think those elements really help to inform the artistic process as well because even if the artwork were to change slightly or something else that we've developed were to change it just kind of helps you to plunge yourself in and invest in that world become a part of that world and kind of live in that world as well i guess as as writers we have to really immerse ourselves in the world of the musical itself so it just helps us to have a kind of visual in which to create those characters in that story and there's also a little bit of a, a secret sort of hidden in the artwork, which it's very subtle. It's something we, we it will only become obvious, I think, when people eventually see the show. But it's uh, it sort of surrounds a pretty major plot point that we've developed for Lady Macbeth. 
Oh, well, if that is not the teaser of the century, I don't know what it is. We're all going to be, we're going to have to like have a link somewhere. Check the podcast notes here. I'm Googling it right now. And make sure you have a look at that, um, that artwork. I think it's all really exciting. And I, it's, it comes from a really interesting place, I think, as writers to be as involved in the rest of the creative process, because writing can be really isolating. And, you know, for people who potentially haven't put a show on before or have that experience a lot of this can feel like a really big chasm of what's next and I think what's really interesting is you guys have created your own production company to support all of all of this show's journey and do you want to touch on that a little bit about how how that came about and how you find that is helpful or potentially challenging in in moving the show forward it's been really beneficial because we've been able to move the project forwards to this point and for us something that we're really passionate about is bringing people together the cast together the team together so I think it was a natural fit for us to have a production company and we founded that in the lockdown alongside writing Lady M. Having a production company I think probably the most helpful part of it is through raising a bit of investment, it gives you the financial backing you need to do. You need to do things in the early stages, because the I think we found that there isn't the most sort of obvious infrastructure for new musical theatre in in the UK, and so by going down down that road of bringing some sort of ex, some sh- sh- you know shareholders into the company, people who were interested in supporting our journey, I guess as as creators, it, it enabled us to be able to get the artwork made and to. Uh, you know, to get the right studios when we needed them and, and to, you know, just to support the project, really, because you you have to have that foundation, I think, for, for it to, have to stand any chance of becoming a, a success in the future. And also, as we discussed earlier, being a sung through musical, the, the two of us, I guess, have to have a pretty strong vision of what we see it being from the start. We're, you, you know, we're cre- every scene, I guess, we're, we're creating as part of the, as part of this sort of, overarching kind of story and you know two hours or whatever it is of, of music so it's uh, ha- having that that uh, that vision is important and I think it just kind of made sense to us really at the very beginning of the journey that you know it's the two of us there's no one else here in the room it's it, we either do it ourselves or you know it doesn't happen essentially. I think you're spot on in saying that it's it's really interesting how the UK infrastructure around new musicals has developed even since I moved here eight years ago and it is absolutely coming along but I I do agree there is a little bit of a gap in how do you get a musical that you've written on stage or perhaps not even on stage but to a workshop stage how do you convince a producer someone who can help guide that who can help raise investment to take it to the next stage and I think that's a challenge for a lot of writers and now forming your own production company isn't the only avenue or the best avenue for every person but it's always great to hear how different shows are navigating their way through what is potentially a gap that needs addressing in the wider industry. Yeah, it is really tough and it can be a bit of a chicken and egg situation to begin with because to get the help that you need, you have to have something to show, but it's very difficult to have something to show without the money to pay for something to show. And so having a production company just enabled us to break that cycle. And also I think the two of us began by uh, being together. We're, we're a couple, so you know we were together during the lockdown. It gave us the time with our music background as well to be able to record demos and do a lot you know we were able to do a lot of work that we didn't have to pay for which is very very helpful I guess in the early stages of it but it's yeah it's an exciting journey and I I think 
where some writers probably would feel differently about it we are a little bit crazy i think we love to be involved in every element we we love to sort of oversee the vision as much as possible and you know that's part of the fun for us so one of the things about um kind of having content to share is those demos and as we've said they are vitally important uh, in terms of sharing with producers but also with the general public so the next song that we're going to play from lady m i think i'm right in saying this one was recorded on iphones on microphones all over the country in different places so just tell us what is the song and and how did all of that work <laughs> it was total carnage to be honest <laughs> uh, it was a difficult experience as many people discovered during the pandemic it's not the easiest thing to record a song remotely we recorded the the piano and guitar at home the guitar if you listen too closely you can hear has all sorts of horrible hissing noises on it and <laughs> the engineer did the best he possibly could with it but it was yeah not not sounding great and then everything else i think oh no we recorded a few vocals at home that was quite helpful but apart from that everything was recorded by actors on phones some of them owned decent microphones so that was helpful but it's still not quite the same as recording it in the studio all together with the same mic and the same settings etc yeah and we were sending kit in the post to people as well and oh, to our wow. engineer and usbs back and forth and yeah it was a, a really tricky process but really fun though as well yeah it was great and, and it's funny because i think the song has a, a really sort of raw feeling to it now that that we'll probably never be able to replicate i mean it's it's it'll be i think at some point we might when we release the full version of it further down the line i think we might uh, sort of call this the, the lockdown demo or something yeah. like that on, on social media <laughs> So this is called Mother Scotland. This is the opening number of the show. And in the song, the Scottish army defeat Norway. So it's a song of celebration and victory. We march in a line full of fine ale and wine. I'll look out for your life as if it were mine. Through the wind and the ice, we never think twice. We know how to fight for our cold paradise Our souls will live on, we won't disappear Dear Mother Scotland, your children are here We were born in these hills, among thistles and mud The seas of the north were made from our blood Our fathers have gone, but they have passed on this beautiful world of clay and stone Now this is our home, we'll never back down Our tears run through rivers in every town Our mountains stand tall, protecting our land Our hearts are the rhythm of waves on the sand The stars in these skies light fire in our eyes And shine on the earth where our history lies We march in a line full of fine air and wine I look out for your life as if it were mine Through the wind and the ice 
these hills among thistles and mud. The seas of the north were made from our blood. Made from our blood. So that was Mother Scotland, and that track is one of the it was the first one you released on Spotify, and it's had a huge amount of plays. Um, how 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 does that feel to have that song, um, you know, doing over two hundred and fifty thousand plays on Spotify? It's been amazing. We we couldn't have imagined uh, when we were recording that sort of crazy, chaotic homemade <laughs> demo that it would you know do so well on on social media and on the streaming platforms. But it's been lovely. It's been great to see the re- response to it, and it's got. I suppose it's helped to make people aware of the show. And it's been really exciting because we haven't massively marketed the show. We just sort of whacked it on Spotify and it's been really exciting seeing those plays go up and up organically. And you had a really brilliant group of performers for this demo, didn't you? Um, Which I think, please go through them, because I think having familiar names like that just makes mitigating the risk of new musicals so much easier. It gets people to potentially take a risk on something that's really risky. You know, it's it's a business. Theatre is a business. It's also an art form. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to hear, you know, who actually is on that track because there's a lot of beautiful, harmonious voices on there. <laughs> we love a harmony. We, we <laughs> were just talking about how much we love a harmony, love an acapella harmony. Bring yes, it all. Give it yes. to me. <laughs> Yeah, so George Blackton sings the solo at the beginning and then Bradley Jaden sings the second solo. And then in the ensemble for the rest of the track, we had those two guys, obviously, and Earl Carpenter, Carl Queensborough, Tom Heyer, Paul Wilkins and Sam O'Rourke, who are all just brilliant performers. And did you know them going into this or or how were your relationships? Yeah, we knew some of them, um, but... We didn't know George and we had seen him in Vikings and just thought he was unbelievable. The whole series was amazing and he was incredible. And then we saw him in Les Mis, the film as well. And he's just got the most gorgeous voice. And we just reached out to his agent and were over the moon when he said he wanted to be involved. And it was the same with Bradley. We absolutely love his voice. He's got an incredible charisma, both on stage and and on the recording as well. Um, So we just approached his agent. And yeah, as I said, we knew some of the others. So it was a little bit easier in the lockdown to reach out to some of the people that we knew um, to ask as a favour if they would sing on it. (laughs) So the piece is complete. You've got at least a, a draft ready. What does the future for Lady M look like? That's a very good question. We have to be a little bit secretive about what we're up to with with the show, the future of it. As you mentioned, we, we are sort of through the, I suppose, what you call the first draft phase. And we had a, another development workshop where we, we didn't present anything at the end, but we decided it would make more sense just to put as much material on its feet as possible because, as we say, with a song through musical, that's more or less two hours of singing and a lot of material a lot of material a lot of scenes exactly and uh with our director Jean-Pierre van der Spey and choreographer Lizzie G who are both incredible it was an amazing opportunity really just to let them do their thing and get the actors working around Mm. you know and moving and you know try and work out what the choreographic language would be of the show and that sort of thing so that was very very helpful we're at the moment, we're just doing a few little rewrites, just sort of chopping and changing things, working a few structural elements out. But there are a lot of plans 
in the in the pipeline uh, in the UK, and also we're getting quite a lot of international interest as well with the show, which is really exciting. So, how do the rewrites work with um, the kind of wider team? How do they all collaborate on that? So. That really, I guess, comes down to the two of us. I think because, as, as we mentioned, it's a sung through musical, we have to have a, 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 a sort of structure in terms of how the scenes work in our minds anyway. And I think off the back of the workshop, we were able to see which bits we liked, which bits we didn't like. And uh, JP, our director, is very, very good as well at telling us what doesn't work. He's, he's, he loves to chop that's uh one, one <laughs> we sometimes sort of fight don't we a bit over whether uh whether or not uh we want to keep something in the show because it might be that it narratively doesn't quite serve the purpose but sometimes musically we might feel like we just want to get that theme in mm. there so sometimes it's a bit of a negotiation about how we'll make that that work but something i should also point out is that we are uh we collaborate gina gina on every element of it music book and lyrics so that yeah quite helpful in the process yeah I think it just helps to be objective when we need to be and we're not that possessive because we've worked on it together from the outset something else I should probably point out is that uh, Gina and I write the music book and lyrics completely collaboratively Uh, it's just sort of how our process works and I guess actually that probably originates from the music uh, from the music industry side of things with the band yeah and I think it helps us to remain neutral because we've always got that person to bounce off of and we're not that possessive because we've done it together from the outset. Yeah, exactly. And another really important sort of part of that process, almost sort of the next step on, I guess, is a, is a man called Rick Simpson, who is Coldplay's record producer. And we decided during the lockdown just to sort of send him a tweet and just see what would happen, you know, see if he, if he was interested in being involved in something like this. Because for years we've talked about working with him. He's an incredible record producer, somebody we thought that would just kind of suit our style and our sound of music. And he, uh, yeah, he, he took a couple of weeks and he suddenly came back and said, yeah, let's have a Zoom. And he was sort of on board immediately, I think, which was great. It was so exciting. And I always say to people that it could have been our wedding day and we would have missed it to make that Zoom because <laughs> that was such a critical moment for us in this process. And we knew as soon as he came back what it would mean to have him involved. Yeah, I think, I think, a lot of the time with musicals, I suppose the orchestration might be one of the last things that ends up happening in the process. But we have decided, because of the way that the three of us, I guess, work, and we're very used to working in studios, because Gina and I obviously are there in the workshops and we're heavily involved in that side of it, we both, I guess, acted as musical directors in the workshops that we've had so far. It was, it sort of made sense to us then that we could start developing the work with rick now you know just thinking ahead we're creating a what i suppose will be almost like a click track for the whole show so you know music from start to finish and we will be orchestrating that and creating the atmosphere because ultimately if it works on a recording if somebody can listen with a pair of headphones and listen to something from the start to finish and enjoy it and then feel invested in the story when they haven't got all of the other wonderful elements that theater can can bring if that works i think we're probably in, in quite a strong position so we're putting a lot of time into that at the moment. And yeah, I mean, some of it will change inevitably. There'll be bits we'll get into the theatre and JP will say, that scene's going to be chopped, that's out. <laughs> and, you know, it'll happen. But having that foundation, again, again, is really, really important, I think. I think what's a really interesting takeaway, actually, from our from our conversation today is don't be afraid to shoot your shot. Like the fact that you just went out to Rick and the, the performers you mentioned completely coldly and... And in return, we reached out to you completely coldly. It, it's really 
um, you know, I think a good takeaway to it doesn't hurt to just reach out to someone, send them an email, drop them a message on, on you know, social media. You never know what could come next from that conversation. Exactly. Definitely. The only way to guarantee that something won't happen is if you don't try. And so that's been our ethos right from the very start. I love that. Well, we've got a lot to look forward to, which has all been super secret. But um, I would just uh, encourage listeners to make sure they follow Lady M on social media. I think you guys are releasing three new singles in the immediate future, depending on when this podcast lands. Hopefully some will be out by then or you'll have some to look forward to. Making a Musical is produced and hosted by Alex Jackson and Kiki Stevenson for The Other Palace. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow and rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps us share new British musical theatre with audiences all around the world. You can submit your new musical to be featured on the podcast at theotherpalace.co.uk. That's it from us. Join us next time for more Making, Making a, a Musical, musical the, the Future of British, British Musical, musical Theatre. theatre.